Chapter Seventeen of Home Life in Colonial Days by Alice Morse Earle. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Old Time Flower Gardens Adjoining the street through which I always, in my childhood, walk slowly each Sunday on my way to and from church, was a spot to detain lingering footsteps. A beautiful garden laid out and tenanted like the gardens of colonial days, and serene with the atmosphere of a worthy old age, a garden which had been tended for over half a century by a withered old man and his wife whose golden wedding was spent in the house they had built and in the garden they had planted when they were bride and groom his back was permanently bowed with constant weeding and pruning and planting and hoeing and his hands and face were brown as the soil he cultivated. The hot glowing crimson peonies, seedling which the wife had sown in her youth, had become great shrubs, fifteen or twenty feet in circumference. The flowering shrubs were trees, vigorous borders of box crowded across the paths and towered on either side till one could scarcely walk through them there were beautiful fairy groves of foxgloves gloriously freckled purple and white and tall canterbury bells and at stiffly regular intervals were set flowering almonds st peter's wreath persian lilacs moses in the burning bush which shrub was rare in our town and laburnums rich in streaming gold syringas ivory pure at the lower ends of the flower borders were rows of honey blob gooseberries and aged currant bushes gray with years overhung by a few patriarchal quince and crab-apple trees in whose low-spreading gnarled branches i spent many a summer afternoon a happy visitor though my own home garden was just as beautiful old-fashioned and flower filled the varying grades of city streets had gradually risen around the garden until it lay depressed several feet below the level of the adjoining streets a pleasant valley like avalon quote, deep meadowed happy fair with orchard lawns and bowery hollows crowned with summer seas unquote. a flight of stone steps led down to it steps very steep narrow and slippery with green moss and ladies delights that crowded and blossomed in every crack and crevice of the stones on each side arose terraces to the street and in the spring these terraces flushed a mass of vivid glowing rose-color from blooming moss-pink forming such a glory that pious church-going folk from the other end of town did not think it wicked to walk thither on a sunday morn in may to look at the rosy banks that sloped to the valleyed garden as they had walked there in february or march to see quote, winter slumbering in the open air where on his smiling face a dream of spring unquote. 
in the shape of the first crocuses and snowdrops that opened beside a snowdrift still lingering on a shaded bank and to watch the first benumbed honey-bees who greeted every flower that bloomed in that cherished spot and who buzzed in bleak march winds over the purple crocus and the blue flushing grape hyacinth as cheerfully as though they were sipping the scarlet poppies in sunny august the garden edges and the street were overhung by graceful larches and by thorny honey locust trees that bore on their trunks great clusters of powerful spines and sheltered in their branches an exceedingly unpleasant species of fat fuzzy caterpillars which always chose sunday to drop on my garments as i walked to church and to go with me to meeting and in the middle of the long prayer to parade on my neck to my startled disgust and agitated whisking away and consequent reproof for being noisy in meeting what fragrances arose from that old garden and were wafted out to passer-by the ever-present pungent dry aroma of box was overcome or tempered through the summer months by a succession of delicate flower scents that hung over the garden veil like an imperceptible mist perhaps the most perfect and clear among memory's retrospective treasures was the pale fringed snow pink and later sweet william with its homely cottage smell flocks and ten weeks stock were there as everywhere the last sweet-scented flowers of autumn at no time was this old garden sweeter than in the twilight the eventide when all the great clumps of snowy flocks night rockets and luminous evening primrose and all the tangles of pale yellow and white honeysuckle shone irradiated when quote, in puffs of balm and night air blows the burden which the day foregoes unquote. and the scents far richer than any of the day the spiced air of night floated out in the dusky gloaming though the old garden had many fragrant leaves and flowers their delicate perfume was sometimes fairly deadened by an almost mephitic aroma that came from an ancient blossom a favorite in shakespeare's day the jewel bell of the noxious crown imperial this stately flower with its rich color and pearly drops has through its evil scent been firmly banished from our garden borders one of the most cheerful flowers of this and my mother's garden was the happy-faced little pansy that under various fanciful folk-names has ever been loved like montgomery's daisy it blossomed everywhere its italian name means idle thoughts the german little stepmother spencer called it ponzi shakespeare said maidens called it love in idleness and drayton named it heart ease dr pryor gives these names herb trinity three faces under a hood fancy flammy kiss me pull me cuddle me unto you tickle my fancy kiss me ere i rise jump up and kiss me kiss me at the garden gate pink of my joan to these let me add the new england folk names bird's eye garden gate johnny jump up kit run about none so pretty and ladies delight all these testify to the affectionate and intimate friendship felt 
for this laughing and fairly speaking little garden face not the least of whose endearing qualities was that after a half-warm snow-melting week in january or february this brightsome little delight often opened a tiny blossom to greet and cheer us a true jump up and kiss me and proved by its blooming the truth of the graceful chinese verse ere man is aware that the spring is here the plants have found it out another dearly loved spring flower was the daffodil the favorite also of old english dramatists and poets and of modern authors as well when we find that keats names a daffodil as the thing of beauty that is a joy forever perhaps the happiest and most poetic picture of daffodils is that of dora wardsworth when she speaks of them as quote, gay and glancing and laughing with the wind unquote. perdita in the winter tales thus describes them in her ever quoted list quote, daffodils that come before the swallow dares and takes the winds of march with beauty unquote. most cheerful and sunny of all our spring flowers they have never lost their old-time popularity and they still laugh at our bleak march winds bouncing bet and her comely hardy cousins of the pink family made delightsome many a corner of some home garden the pinks were jove's own flowers and the carthusian pink china pink clove pink snow pink plumes pink mullion pink sweet william maltese cross ragged robin catchfly and campion all made gay and sweet the summer the clove pink was the ancestor of all the carnations the richest autumnal glory came from the cheerful marigold the goldie of chaucer and the merry bud of shakespeare this flower beloved of all the old writers as deeply suggestive and emblematic has been coldly neglected by modern poets as for a while it was banished from modern town gardens but it may regain its popularity in verse as it has in cultivation in farm gardens it has always flourished and every autumn has gone to bed with the sun and with him risen weeping and has given forth in the autumn air its acrid odor which to me is not disagreeable though my old herbal calls it quote, a very naughty smell unquote. a favorite shrub in our garden as in every country courtyard was southern wood or lady's love a sprig of it was carried to meeting each summer sunday by many old ladies and with its finely dissected bluish-green foliage and clean pungent scent it was pleasant to see in the meeting-house and pleasant to sniff at the virtues of flowers took a prominent place in the descriptions in old-time botanies the southernwood had strong medicinal qualities and was used to cure quote, vanities of the head unquote. Quote, take a quantity of southern wood and put it upon kindled coals to burn being made into powder mix it with the oil of radishes and anoint a bald place and you shall see great experiences unquote. it was of power as a love charm if you placed a sprig in each shoe and wore it through the day when you were in love you would then also in some way quote, see great experiences unquote. in the tender glamour of happy association all flowers in the old garden seem to have been loved save the garish petunias 
whose sickish odor grew more offensive and more powerful at nightfall and made me long to tear them away from their dainty garden fellows and the portulaca with its fleshy worm-like stems and leaves and its aggressively pushy habits quote, never would be missed unquote. perhaps its close relation to the pusley most hated of weeds makes us eye it askance there was one attribute of the old-time garden one part of nature's economy which added much to its charm it was the crowding abundance and overfulness of leaf bud and blossom nature there displayed no bare expanses of naked soil as in some too carefully kept modern parterre the dull earth was covered with a tangle of ready-growing self-sowing lowly flowers that filled every space left unoccupied by statelier garden favorites and crowded every corner with cheerful though unostentatious bloom and the close juxtaposition and even intermingling of flowers with herbs vegetables and fruits gave a sense of homely simplicity and usefulness as well as of beauty the soft purple eyes of the morning bride were no less lovely to us in our garden because they opened under the shade of currant and gooseberry bushes and the sweet alisum and candy tuff were no less honey sweet the delicate pink-purple hues of the sweet peas were not dimmed by the vivid neighbors at the end of the row of poles the scarlet runners the adlumia or mountain fringe was a special vine of our own and known by a special name virgin's bower with its delicate leaves almost as beautiful as a maidenhair fern and its dainty pink flower it festooned the ripening corn as wantonly and luxuriantly as it encircled the snowball and lilac bushes though colored herbs were cultivated in england in the seventeenth and eighteenth century as carefully as were flowers striped hollies variegated myrtles and bays being the gardener's pride yet in our old american gardens few plants were grown for their variegated or odd-colored foliage the familiar and ever-present ribbon-grass also called striped grass canary-grass and gardener's garters whose pretty expanded panicles formed an almost tropical effect at the base of the garden hedge the variegated wandering jew the striped leaves of some varieties of day-lilies the dusty miller with its frosty pow which was probably a house-plant filled the short list the blocks was the sole evergreen and may i not enter here a plea for the preservation of the box edgings of our old garden borders i know they are almost obsolete have been winter killed and sunburned and are even in sorry disrepute as having a graveyard association and as being harborers of unpleasant and unwelcome garden visitors one lover of old ways thus indignantly mourns their passing quote, i spoke of box hedgings we used to see them in little country gardens with paths of crude earth nowadays it has been discovered that box harbors slugs and we are beginning to have beds with tiled borders while the walks are of asphalt for a pleasure round in dante's inferno such materials might be suitable unquote. for its beauty in winter alone the box should still find a place in our gardens it grows to great size bushes of box in the deserted garden at vaucluse in newport rhode island are fifteen feet in height and over them spread the branches of forest trees that have sprung up in the garden beds since the neglected plaisance was planted 
over a century ago the beautiful border and hedges of box at mount vernon the home of washington plead for fresh popularity for this old-time favorite our mothers and grandmothers came honestly by their love of gardens they inherited this affection from their puritan quaker or dutch forebears perhaps from the days when the famous hanging gardens of babylon were made for a woman bacon says quote, a garden is the purest of human pleasures it is the greatest refreshment to the spirit of man unquote. a garden was certainly the greatest refreshment to the spirits of a woman in the early colonial days and the purest of her pleasures too often her only pleasure quickly in tender memory of her english home the homesick goodwife trying to create a semblance of the birthplace she still loved planted the seeds and roots of homely english flowers and herbs that grew and blossomed under bleak new england skies and on rocky new england shores as sturdily and cheerfully as they had sprung up and bloomed by the green hedgerows and doorsides in the home beyond the sea in the year sixteen thirty eight and again in sixteen sixty three an english gentleman named john jocelyn came to new england he published in sixteen seventy two an account of these two visits he was a man of polite reading and of culture and as was the high fashion for gentlemen of his day had a taste for gardening and botany he made interesting lists of plants which he noted in america under these heads Quote, one such plants as are common with us in england two such plants as are proper to the country three such plants as are proper to the country and have no names four such plants as have sprung up since the english planted and kept cattle in new england five such garden herbs among us as do thrive there and of such as do not Unquote. this last division is the one that specially interests us since it is the earliest and the fullest account of the gardens of our forefathers after they had tamed the rugged shores of the new world and made them obey the rule of english husbandry they had quote, good store of garden vegetables and herbs lettuce sorrel parsley mallows chevrel burnet summer savory winter savory thyme sage carrots parsnips beets radishes purslain beans cabbage growing exceedingly well peas of all sorts and the best in the world asparagus thrives exceedingly muskmelons cucumbers and pompions unquote. for grains there were wheat rye barley and oats there were other garden herbs and garden flowers spearmint pennyroyal ground ivy coriander dill tansy quote, feverfew prospereth exceedingly white satin groweth pretty well and so doth lavender cotton gilly flowers will continue two years horseleek prosperous notably hollyhocks comfrey with white flowers clary lasts but one summer sweetbriar or eglantine celadine but slowly bloodwort but sorrily but patience and english roses very pleasantly unquote. patience and english roses very pleasantly in truth must have shown their fair english faces 
to English women in the strange land. Dearly loved had these briar roses or dog roses been in England, where says the old herbalist Gerard, quote, Children with delight make chains and pretty gewgaws of the fruit, and the cooks and gentlewomen make tarts and such like dishes for pleasure thereof. Ollyhawks, feverfew, and gillyflowers must have made a sunshine in the shady places in the new home. Many of these garden herbs are now common weeds or roadside blossoms. Celadine, even a century ago, was, quote, common by fences and among rubbish, unquote. Tansy and elecampane grow everywhere. Sweetbriar is at home in New England pastures and roadsides. Spearmint edges our brooks. Ground ivy is a naturalized citizen. It is easy to note that the flowers and herbs beloved in gardens and medicinal waters and kitchens at home were the ones transplanted here. Clary water was a favorite tonic of Englishmen of that day. The list of, quote, such plants as have sprung up since the English planted, unquote, should be of interest to everyone who has any sense of sentiment of association or interest in laws of succession. The Spanish proverb says, quote, more in the garden grows than the gardener sows, unquote. The plantain has a history full of romance. Its old northern names, Widstrit in German, Wiegri in Dutch, Viebred in Danish, and Waybred in Old English, are indicating its presence in the much-trodden paths of man, were not lost in its new home, nor were its characteristics overlooked by the nature-noting and plant-knowing red man. It was called by the Indians the Englishman's foot, says Jocelyn, and by Calm also, a later traveler in 1740, for they say where an Englishman trod there grew a plantain in each footstep. Not less closely did such old garden weeds as motherwort, groundsel, chickweed, and wild mustard cling to the white man. They are old colonists brought over by the first settlers, and still thrive and triumph in every kitchen garden and backyard in the land. Mullion and nettle, henbane and wormwood are all English immigrants. The Puritans were not the only flower lovers in the new land. The Pennsylvania Quakers and the Mennonites were quick to plant gardens. Pastorius encouraged all the Germantown settlers to raise flowers as well as fruit. Whittier says of him in his Pennsylvania Pilgrim, quote, The flowers his boyhood knew smiled at his door the same in form and you and on his vines the rainish clusters grew unquote. it gives one a pleasant notion of the old quaker george fox to read his bequest by will of a tract of land near philadelphia for a playground for children of the town to play on and for a garden to plant with physical plants for lads and lassies to know simples and to learn to make oils and ointments among pennsylvanians the art of gardening reached the highest point the landscape gardening was a reproduction of the best in england our modern country places cannot equal in this respect the colonial country seats near philadelphia Woodlands and Bush Hill, the homes of the Hamiltons, Clevedon of Chief Justice Chu, Fairhill, Belmont, the estate of Judge Peters were splendid examples. An ecstatic account of the glories and wonders of some of them was written just after the Revolution by a visitor who fully understood their treasures. The Reverend Manasseh Cutler, the clergyman, statesman, and botanist, 
in newport rhode island where flowers ever seemed to thrive with extraordinary luxuriance there were handsome gardens in the eighteenth century a description of mr bowler's garden during the revolution reads thus quote, it contains four acres and has a grand isle in the middle near the middle is an oval surrounded with espaliers of fruit trees in the centre of which is a pedestal on which is an armillary sphere with an equatorial dial on one side of the front is a hothouse containing orange trees some ripe some green some blooms and various other fruit trees of the exotic kind and curious flowers at the lower end of the aisle is a large summer-house a long square containing three rooms the middle paved with marble and hung with landscapes on the right is a large private library adorned with curious carvings there are espaliers of fruit trees at each end of the garden and curious flowering shrubs the room on the left is beautifully designed for music and contains a spinet but the whole garden discovered the desolations of war unquote. in the southern colonies men of wealth soon had beautiful gardens in an early account of south carolina written in sixteen eighty two we find quote, their gardens are supplied with such european plants and herbs as are necessary for the kitchen and they begin to be beautiful and adorned with such flowers as to the smell or eye are pleasing or agreeable viz the rose tulip carnation lily etc unquote. by the middle of the century many exquisite gardens could be seen in charleston and they were the pride of southern colonial dames those of mrs lambole mrs hopton and mrs logan were the largest the latter flower lover in seventeen seventy nine when seventy years old wrote a trustees on flower raising called the gardener's calendar which was read and used for many years mrs lawrence had another splendid garden those southern ladies and their gardeners constantly sent specimens to england and received others in return the letters of the day especially those of eliza lucas pickney ever interested in floriculture and arboriculture showed a constant exchange with english flower lovers beverly wrote of virginia in seventeen twenty Quote, a garden is nowhere sooner made than there unquote. william bird and other travellers a few years later saw many beautiful terrace gardens in virginia homes mrs anne grant writes at length of the love and care the dutch women of the past century had for flowers quote, the care of the plants such as needed peculiar care or skill to rear them was the female province every one in town or country had a garden into the garden no foot of man intruded after it was dug in the spring i think i see yet what i have so often beheld a respectable mistress of a family going out to her garden in an april morning with her great calash her little painted basket of seeds and her rake over her shoulders to her garden of labors a woman in very easy circumstances and abundantly gentle in form and manners would sow and plant and rake incessantly unquote. in new york before the revolution were many beautiful gardens such as that as madame alexander on broad street where in their proper season grew posblomen of all hues laylocks and tall may-roses and snowballs intermixed with choice vegetable and herbs all bounded and hemmed in by huge rows of neatly clipped box edgings we have a pretty picture also in the letters of catherine rutherford 
of an entire company gathering rose leaves in june in madame clark's garden and setting the rose still at work to turn their sweet-scented spoils into rose-water a trade in flower and vegetable seeds formed a lucrative and popular means by which women could earn a livelihood in colonial days i have seen in one of the dingy little newspaper sheets of those days in the large total of nine advertisements contained therein the announcement by five boston seed women of lists of their wares the earliest of names of flower seeds which i have chanced to note was in the boston evening post of march seventeen sixty and is of much interest as showing to us with exactness the flowers beloved and sought for at that time they were hollyhook purple stalk white lupins africans blue lupins candy tuff cyanus pink wallflower double larkinspur venus navel wart brompton flock priceless feather balsam sweet-scented peas carnation sweet williams annual stalk sweet phoebus yellow lupins sunflower convolus minor catchfly ten-week stalk globe thistle globe amaranthus nigella love lies bleeding cassent hamen polyanthus canterbury bells carnation poppy india pink convolus major queen margaret's unquote. this is certainly a pretty list of flowers nearly all of which are still loved though sometimes under other names thus the queen margaret are our asters and the homely old english names seem to bring the flowers to our very sight for we do not seem to be on very friendly intimacy on very sociable terms with flowers unless they have what miss mitford calls decent well-wearing english names we can have no flower memories no affections that cling to botanical nomenclature yet nothing is more fatal to an exact flower knowledge to an acquaintance that shall ever be more than local than a too confident dependence on the folk names of flowers our bachelor's buttons are a ragged sailors in a neighboring state they are corn pinks in plymouth ragged ladies in another town blue bottles in england but cyanus everywhere ragged robin is in the garden of one friend a pink in another it flaunts as london pride while the true glowing london pride has half a dozen pseudonyms in as many different localities and only really recognizes itself in the botany an american cowslip is not an english cowslip an american primrose is no english primrose and the english daisy is no country friend of ours in america what cheerful and appropriate furnishings the old-time gardens had benches full of straw bee-keeps and wooden beehives those homelike and busy dwelling places frequently also a well-filled dovecot sometimes was seen a sundial once the everyday friend and suggestive monitor of all who wandered among the flowers of an hour now known alas only to the antiquary sentiment and even spirituality seemed suggested by the sundial yet few remained to cast their instructive shadow before our sight one stood for years in the old box-bordered garden at homogansett farm at wickford in old narragansett governor endicott's dial is in the essex institute at salem and my forebear jacob fairbanks had one dated sixteen fifty which is now in the rooms of the dedham historical society 
Dr. Bowditch of Boston had a sundial which was thus inscribed, quote, With warning hand I mark time's rapid flight from life's glad morning to its solemn night, and like God's love I also show there's light above me by the shade below, unquote. Another god dial thus gives in long lean letters its warning word quote, You'll mend your ways tomorrow when blooms that budded flower Mortal learn to your sorrow Death may creep with his arrow and pierce your vital marrow long ere my warning shadow can mark that hour unquote these dials are all of heavy metal usually lead sometimes with gnomon of brass but i have heard of one that was unique it was cut in box at the edge of the farm garden often stood the well sweep one of the most picturesque adjuncts of the country dooryard its successor the roofed well with bucket stone and chain and even the homely long-handled pump had a certain appropriateness as part of the garden furnishings so many thoughts crowd upon us in regard to the old garden one is the age of its flowers we have no older inhabitants than these garden plants they are old settlers clumps of flower de luce double buttercups peonies yellow daylilies are certainly seventy-five years old many lilac bushes a century old still bloom in new england and syringas and flowering currants are as old as the elms and locusts that shade them this established constancy and yearly recurrence of bloom is one of the garden's many charms to those who have known and loved an old garden in which there grows no strange flowers every year but when spring winds blow o'er the pleasant places the same dear things lift up the same fair faces and faithfully tell and retell the story of the changing seasons by their growth blossom and decay nothing can seem more artificial than the modern show-beds of full-grown plants which are removed by assiduous gardeners as soon as they have flowered to be replaced by others only in turn to bloom and disappear these seem to form a real garden no more than does a child's posy bed stuck with short stemmed flowers to wither in a morning and the tiresome tasteless ribbon beds of our day were preceded in earlier centuries by figured beds of diverse colored earths and of both we can say with bacon quote, they be but toys you may see as good sights many times in tarts unquote. the promise to noah quote, while the earth remaineth seed time and harvest shall not cease unquote. when heated in the garden brings various interest the seed time the springing up of familiar favorites and the cherishing of these favorites through their ingathering of seeds or bulbs or roots for another year bring pleasure as much as does their inflorescence another pathetic trait of many of the old-time flowers should not be overlooked their persistent clinging to life after they have been exiled from the trim garden borders where they first saw the chill sun of a new england spring you see them growing and blooming outside the garden fence against old stone walls where their uptorn roots have been thrown to make place for new and more popular favorites you find them cheerfully spreading, pushing along the footpaths, turning into vagrants, becoming flaunting weeds. You see them climbing here and there, trying to hide the deserted chimneys of their early homes, or wandering over and hiding the untrodden footpaths of other days. A vivid imagination can shape many a story of their life in the interval between their first careful planting in colonial gardens 
and their neglected exile in highways and byways where the poor bits of depauperated earth can grow no more lucrative harvest the sites of colonial houses which are now destroyed the trend almost the exact line of old roads can be traced by the cheerful faces of these garden strays the situation of old fort nassau in pennsylvania no longer a matter of uncertainty is said to have been definitely determined by the familiar garden flowers found growing on one of these disputed sites it is a tender thought that this indelible mark is left upon the face of our native land through the affection of our forebears for their gardens the botany tells us that the bouncing bet has escaped from cultivation she has been thrust out but unresentfully lives and smiles opening her tender pinky opalescent flowers adown the dusty roadsides and even on barren gravel beds in railroad cuts butter and eggs tansy chamomile spiked loose strife velvet leaf bladder campion cypress spurge live forever star of bethlehem money vine all have seen better days but now are flower tramps even the larkspur beloved of children the moss pink and the grape hyacinth may sometimes be seen growing in country fields and byways the homely and cheerful blossoms of the orange tawny ephemeral lily and the spotted tiger lily whose gaudy colors glow from the warmth of far cathay their early home now make gay many of our roadsides and crowd upon the sweet cinnamon roses of our grandmothers which also are undaunted garden exile drive once along a country road i saw on the edge of a field an expanse of yellow bloom which seemed to be an unfamiliar field tint it proved to be a vast bed of coreopsis self-sown from year to year and the blackened outlines of an old cellar wall in its midst showed that in the field once stood a home once there a garden smiled i am always sure when i see bouncing bet butter and eggs and tawny lilies growing in a tangle together that in their midst may be found an untrodden doorstone a fallen chimney or a filled-in well still broader field expanses are filled with old country plants in june a golden glory of bud and blossom covers the hills and fields of essex county in massachusetts from lynn to danvers and ryleside to beverly it is the english gorse or woodwax and by tradition it was first brought to this country in spray and seed as a packing for some of the household belongings of governor endicott thrown out in friendly soil the seeds took root and there remain in the vicinity of their first american homes it is a stubborn squatter yielding only to scythe plough and hoe combined chicory or blueweed was it is said brought from england by governor bowden as food for his sheep it has spread till its extended presence has been a startling surprise to all english visiting botanists it hurts no one's fields for it invades chiefly waste and neglected land the dear common flower and it has redeemed many a city suburb of vacant lots and many a railroad ash heap from the abomination of desolation white weed or oxide daisy a far greater pest than gorse or chicory has been carried intentionally to many a township by homesick settlers whose descendants to-day rule the sentiment of their ancestors while the valley 
garden of our old neighbors was sweet with blossoms my mother's garden bore a still fresher fragrance that of green growing things of posies lemon balm rose geranium mint and sage i always associated with it in spring the scent of the strawberry bush or calicanthus and in summer of the fraxinella with its tall stem of larkspur like flowers its still more graceful seed vessels and its shining ash-like leaves grew there in rich profusion and gave forth from leafy stem blossom and seed a pure a memory-sweet perfume half like lavender half like anise truly much of our tenderest love of flowers comes from association and many are lovingly recalled solely by their odors balmier breath than was ever borne by blossom is to me the pure pungent perfume of ambrosia rightly named as fit for the gods not the miserable weed ambrosia of the botany but a lowly herb that grew throughout the entire summer everywhere in our garden sowing its seeds broadcast from year to year springing up unchecked in every unoccupied corner and under every shrub and bushy plant giving out from serrated leaf an irregular race-me of tiny pale green flowers a spicy aromatic fragrance if we brushed past it or pulled a weed from amongst it as we strolled down the garden walk and it is our very own i have never seen it elsewhere than at my old home and in the gardens of neighbors to whom its seeds are given by the gentle hand that planted our garden and made it a delight goethe says quote, some flowers are lovely to the eye but others are lovely to the heart ambrosia is lovely to my heart for it was my mother's favorite and each spring comes slowly up the way i say in the words of solomon quote, awake o north wind and come thou south blow upon my garden that the spices thereof may flow out unquote. that the balm and mint the thyme and southernwood the sweetbriar and ambrosia may spring afresh and shed their tender incense to the memory of my mother who planted them and loved their pure fragrance and at whose present as at that of eve flowers ever sprung Quote, and touched by her fair tendance gladlier grew Unquote. end of chapter seventeen end of home life in colonial times by alice morse earl